Good to see you guys. A lot of familiar faces that I get to um, see again, and that's always an encouragement to me. It's also an encouragement to see faces that I don't recognize and be able to meet new people and see that God is working here and people are continuing to hear the gospel and growing as disciples of Christ. And that always encourages me. And today I'm just excited to be able to spend some time with you guys and really just be able to communicate the scriptures to you. And I don't have anything special to offer to you. I'm not especially gifted or talented in any way, but today I'm just honored and privileged that you guys will allow me to open the scriptures with you this morning and just dive into what God has for us and see um, some scriptural truths that can be hopefully an encouragement to us, but a challenge as well. So if you guys have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. My dad said normally he preaches about 20 minutes, is that right? (laughs) Uh, Maybe not. Maybe a little bit longer. I probably won't be uh, as long. But today, I do want to just celebrate with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ the gospel and the truth of the gospel and what that means for our life because it has profound implications. And I just love the fact that we get to celebrate our Savior and our Lord Jesus Christ this morning, but that also people not only around this city, not only around this state, in other states and all over this country and all over this world are literally celebrating that same thing this morning. And that's what's so cool about Sunday mornings is that you are a part of something so much bigger that is expressed in the local church of Shadow Mountain Baptist Church. But there are brothers and sisters in Christ in cities all over this country and all over this continent that are, sa- are celebrating our salvation, that are worshiping our Savior this morning and are serving Him with their lives. So be encouraged in that. Be excited about that. I'm excited that I get to be with you this morning, but there are so many bodies of believers like this all over the world, and that's just something to marvel about because God is doing a work, and uh, He's continuing to do a work. I do believe that. And so in Ephesians chapter 2, as we open there, if if you're there, just follow along. We're actually going to read the whole chapter, if you don't mind. We're going we're gonna to look at a, quite a bit of scripture today, and we're going to really look at um, what the gospel is in a whole and what it means for us. So Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 1. I'll try not to bore you to death with my reading, all right? Are you guys ready? Let's go. It says, And you hath he quickened, made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, where in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy... For his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, have quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. And hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, 
which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Wherefore, remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For He is our peace who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in His flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances for to make in Himself of twain one new man, so making peace, and that He might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you which were afar off, and to them that were nigh. For through Him we both have access by one Spirit unto the Father. Look at this. Now therefore, ye are no more strangers, You're no more foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone and whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord and whom ye also are builded together for an habitation, an habitation of God through the Spirit. That chapter, if that doesn't get you excited, if that doesn't get you pumped up, then I don't know what else will, because that is the Gospel. That is our Father, our Creator in Heaven, sending His Son to be born a baby, to grow and live to die for me and you, to be reconciled to our Father, to not only have The promised people, just Israel, have the covenants and the promise in the favor of God, but to offer it to all men and to make both parties, Jew and Gentile, into one through Christ. And that it's not of ourselves, it's not something we have to strive for, but it's something that God so graciously gives to us. And that through faith we can accept and that we can obtain and that we can be called the children of God. We're no longer strangers, we're no longer foreigners, but we're fellow citizens and we belong to the household of God. That is something that we can celebrate this morning. But, as we celebrate it this morning, as we look at what the gospel is and how we experience reconciliation, as we experience being made whole with our God, what now? What does that mean now? We come this morning and we love to worship our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we love to be thankful for what He has done for us, what He has offered to us, that that sacrifice on the cross that says, I don't see your sins anymore. You are declared righteous in Christ. But what does that mean for our Monday morning? What does that mean as a follower of Christ? When Jesus came, Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom. And if I were to go around the room today and ask, what is the kingdom of heaven? 
we might get a lot of different answers. And I kind of want you to ask yourself that, that question in your mind right now. is What is the kingdom of heaven? What would your answer be if I asked you that question? What is the kingdom of God? Because when Jesus came and he started his earthly ministry, he actually, after he came out of the wilderness being tempted of Satan, the Bible says that in uh, Matthew 4, 17, from that time Jesus began to preach and to say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven. Kingdom is a very, um, it's an old term that people don't use on their everyday language. When's the last time that you used kingdom in your vocabulary on Monday through Friday? Not a common term to use as you're walking into the break room and talking to your coworkers. It's just not a word that normally comes up in our conversation. And I think there's a lot of words like that in the Bible that if we're not careful, we kind of gloss over and we don't give a lot of time and attention to to really break down and say, hey, what does this mean? What is the kingdom of heaven? Kingdom has a connotation of a kingdom has a king. A kingdom has boundaries. A kingdom is kind of like an empire. A kingdom is something we're very unfamiliar with because we live in America, which is like a democratic republic government. We have elected officials that represent us and It's a whole different system than a kingdom with a king who rules over the land. And we're not familiar with this verbiage. We're not familiar with this setting. But Jesus said that the kingdom of heaven was at hand when he was there, when he was preaching on his earthly ministry. And so what is that? And that's what I want to look at today is what is the kingdom of heaven and what does it mean to live as a follower of Christ who is kingdom-minded? So Jesus said the kingdom of heaven was at hand. And as he sent his disciples out later in Matthew 10, he also said, and as you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So was Jesus setting up his kingdom then? Was he setting up to be king over Israel at that moment? Well, obviously not, because he died and then went to heaven. So he's not ruling physically as a king now, so if a kingdom has a king and it has uh, people in it that a king rules over, um, what does that mean for us as Christians? What does that look like to be a follower of Christ and be kingdom-minded, to live for a kingdom of heaven? It's kind of vague verbiage. Let's dive into it deeper. In Luke chapter 17, in verse 20 through 21, if you want to flip there real quickly, Luke chapter 17, in verse 20, It actually says, and when he was demanded of the Pharisees, when the kingdom of God should come. So the Pharisees are approaching Jesus and they are demanding Jesus to tell him. So when is this kingdom being set up? When when are you going to be doing this? We need to know about it. He says, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God cometh not with observation. Neither shall they say, Lo here, or lo there. For behold, the kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom of God is within you. Later on in John chapter 18, as you read through the Gospels, you'll find in verse 36, Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. So, Jesus is referring to 
a metaphorical kingdom. He's referring to a kingdom that's not here physically. He said it's not from here. So what does it mean? So let's go back. Let's go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The Bible says that the earth was without form. It was a void. And it says that the Spirit moved upon the face of the darkness. And then God said, let there be light. And God took something that was void, that was formless, and he formed it. And he brought order. And he brought beauty. And he brought creation. And he brought what we see today. He created it. And at the end, he said, let us make man in our image. And he created male and female and He created them in his image. He formed man out of the dust of the ground and he took Eve of the rib of man and he formed them together to bear his image. He formed them to have a relationship with them. He formed them to enjoy his creation. He put them in the garden, the perfect garden. He put them in there to dress it, to keep it, to subdue the animals and have dominion over them, not to manipulate them or abuse them or use them for self-serving advantages, but to steward it, to bring order from disorder, to bring beauty from void, to act as their creator, who they were made in the image of, to bear his image and to bring beauty by creation. And the beautiful thing about this was this was his kingdom, and he was their king. But just as we just sang in this song, He was not a king as a dictator or a tyrant, as often that word conjures up in our mind, but he was a king who was a brother and a friend, who walked with man in the cool of the garden, who had a relationship with them, who loved them. That's why he created them, to enjoy relationship with mankind, to be their king in the kingdom so that they could trust him and rely on him and enjoy him. That is what was perfect in the garden. That was shalom. That was the perfect peace. That was what God intended to be. But to have true love in a relationship, there has to be something called free will. There has to be something called our choice. And so God had to give that to man. Otherwise, it would be a robotic love, which we would know would not be a love at all. And so since man had a free will, He turned his back on God, and he believed the lie. Man believed the lie that I know better. Man believed the lie that God, my king, Yahweh, doesn't know what's best. Man believed the lie that I would be better on my own if I were my king, and if I made decisions for myself. And as we know, man took of the fruit, of the knowledge of good the, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and because of that brought sin into the world because of their lack of faith in their king in their friend in their creator because they say i want to be the creator because they said i want to be the king they turn their back on god and you know what the crazy thing is is that god didn't kick them out of his creation god removed himself from his own creation, which is one of the worst parts of the curse. Our Father and Creator, who longed to be with us, who longed to walk with us, removed his presence from the earth and turned it over to itself and said, have your kingdom. Have your way. It's not going to be as good. 
And we see as man begins to follow after his own lusts of the flesh and of the eyes and his own pride, we see the degradation of mankind in six chapters into the Bible. It's gotten so bad that God almost regrets even making mankind because it pains to see him watch his creation destroy themselves. And we see it today. We see the very effects of man's curse, man's sin. It says, by sin entered, by one man's sin entered into the world and death by sin. And we see it every day when our loved ones are, are diagnosed with cancer, when we, when we see evil in this world, when we see murder, when we see jealousy, when we see covetousness, covetousness, when we see selfishness, when we see pride, when we enact pride, we see the absence of God. And we see man being their own king. And the effects of that are devastating. And so we see, as the Bible continues, that man begins to murder and man begins to steal and commit adultery and take and live for himself. And it's causing mass destruction. But then we see our God enacting his plan, chasing down mankind to restore his creation to restore his kingdom to what it was intended to be, to what it once was, that perfect shalom and peace in the garden. And so earth being a place where God had to withdraw his presence, we see speckles or little pop-ups of God's presence along the way. And he chooses a man named Abraham for whatever reason we'll never know. But Abraham had faith. And he trusted God, and God promised him he'd make a nation out of him that would bless all nations. You see, Israel was not chosen for salvation of themselves, but chosen to be a conduit for salvation to the world. From the very beginning, God said to Abraham, I'm going to use you to bless all nations. And from you will come the Messiah who will restore, who will bring that reconciliation. So we see Abraham, we see a nation come from Abraham, and we see God bring his presence back down to earth, but only in one location. And we see that in the Holy of Holies, in their temple. We see where Jesus would, or where God himself would descend onto that creation again. And and there would be a, a presence here on earth again, but not everyone got to enjoy it. Not everyone had access to it. It was still removed from mankind because He could not dwell with an unholy people. He couldn't dwell as a perfect God with sin. And since we chose that, he had to remove his presence. But as we see, the narrative of the Bible is God trying to restore his kingdom. And so when we come to Jesus' birth, as we're going to be celebrating this coming month, Jesus is bringing back his presence. Jesus himself, the creator. Jesus himself, the fullness of God comes to us. As Ephesians 2 says, He humbled Himself and became obedient unto death. God humbled Himself after we turned our back on Him. He humbled Himself and came to us. He was born, He grew, He lived, He served, and He died. But while he, before he died, he said, this is the kingdom of God. It's not of this place. It's not of this world, but it is at hand. And he said, the kingdom of God is within you. What does that mean? 
That means for me as a Christian, I have realized my need of salvation. I've realized my need of a Savior. I've realized that there is a God, Yahweh, and His Son, Jesus, who loved me so much that He made a way to reconcile me to Him. He had a propitiation for my sins. That was Jesus on the cross. And that through faith, through grace, I can know Him. I can be restored with Him. So Jesus is my Savior, but He's also my Lord. Lord is not another name for Jesus in the sense of like his full name is Jesus Christ. Christ is in his last name. Lord is in his middle name. Lord is a title that means ruler or master. And so to be a follower of Christ is to say that Jesus is my Lord. Jesus is my king. And to live for the kingdom of heaven is to say that Jesus, you are my king. Not by oppression, not by tyranny, but by submission. I am servant to Jesus, my King. And I live for His kingdom. When I wake up in the morning, I live for my King. I walk with my King throughout the day. And He's not lording over me, oppressing me. He's actually so gracious that He humbled Himself and came to serve me. That's a love that doesn't make any sense to us. But that's the love which we receive. So to live for the kingdom of heaven is to live for my king and to let Jesus be the king of my life. And that initiates the kingdom of heaven all over the world. Jesus is going to come one day and he's going to set up his physical rule. But right now, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For any of us who say, Jesus, you're my king and I'm living for you, That starts right now when we are living in a kingdom of this world, but not of it. Jesus said in John chapter 17, turn there with me if you will. John chapter 17. John chapter 17 is actually the last hours of Jesus being alive. And Jesus is actually in the garden at this point, and he's praying to the Father before he is taken away to be crucified. And look at verse 15. This is in the middle of Jesus' prayer before he is crucified. He says, I pray, in verse 15, not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, Father, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through thy truth. Neither pray I for these alone, get this, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. That's us. That's me and you. Jesus is praying for us right before he died. And get what he says. He says his prayer, that they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou, hast gavest, that which thou gavest me, I have given them that they may be one even as we are one. I in them, and thou in me, 
that they may be perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Jesus didn't pray for us to be removed from this world, but to shine in the darkness of it. We are not, to be a Christian doesn't mean to have, salvation isn't to have fire insurance. Salvation is our marching orders. The gospel, we don't strive for salvation, but we live because of it. And we shine because of what God has done for us. And so we begin to spread the kingdom of heaven when we live kingdom-minded. And to be kingdom-minded is to say, Jesus, you are my king. You have not only saved me, but you are the ruler of my life. So what do you want me to do? Today, in this moment, and every single day. And guess what? He told us. He told us once what he wants us to do. He said the most important thing is to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and then to love your neighbor as yourself. In John 13, he says, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you're my followers, that you have love one to another. This is the kingdom language that Jesus was trying to communicate. He said, in this kingdom... You strive to be the greatest, but in the kingdom of God, the servant of all is actually the greatest. It actually flips our thinking on its head, and he calls us to be servants. He calls us to be humble. He calls us to love one another as we have been loved by God. And so to be a follower of Christ, to be kingdom-minded, to spread the kingdom of heaven now, while we wait, is to say, Jesus, you're my king. I live for you. When you wake up in the morning realizing that no one owes me anything, but God gave himself for me. And that love that I received, I'm going to perpetuate that love to everyone in my life. That forgiveness that I've received, I'm going to perpetuate that to everyone in my life. That undeserved mercy and grace that I have received, I'm going to perpetuate that to everyone in my life. And I'm going to strive for unity among fellow believers because Jesus said it is by this that the gospel will have verity. It is by this that the world will know that I am the Son of God. And we wonder why the world doesn't know. When we look at the church, when we look at our lives, we look at relationships. As soon as there's strife, as soon as there's division, what do we do? We cut it off. Where is the unity? Where is the striving for harmony? Where is the unconditional love and forgiveness that we have received? Because the Bible says we have no right to receive forgiveness from God and turn around and not forgive. We have no right to receive forgiveness and salvation from God and turn around and to bring judgment on others and to act as God ourselves. So to live for the kingdom of God is to live with Jesus as my king. Our salvation is not our fire insurance, it's our marching orders. We're not here to hunker down and wait till Jesus comes back. He has given us a mission. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. That means that as I live out my life, I am living the gospel. You guys have heard many a times that some, some, for some people, the only Bible they'll ever read is your life. Some people are never going to open that book and read the scriptures for themselves. And the only contact or interaction they, with, that they have with Christianity or what God has said is how you live. We have a lot 
of work to do. He is our king. We're not his slaves by oppression, but servants by submission. When we live a life kingdom-minded, it is centered on the gospel, which is God's perfect love fleshed out. When we live a life building our kingdom, it is centered on our love, which drives us to please ourselves at the expense of everyone else. Jesus said, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. In Colossians 1.13 it says, Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Paul said to the church at Philippi, For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he also said to them, Who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the work whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. So the king is coming, and he's coming to restore his creation. And he's coming to set up his kingdom once and for all physically. But we don't have to wait till then. His kingdom starts now. When we begin to live with him as our king. And the world and the world's kingdom begins to experience the light and wholeness and fulfillment of God's kingdom when they see his children walking in light. And so you see the whole New Testament filled with verbiage of how to walk in the light, how to walk with the Spirit, how to be a citizen of God's kingdom, not a citizen of this kingdom. When we view Christianity and salvation as our salvation, and that's it, and now I get my best life now, and and I get to focus on my kingdom here, then we are serving two masters, which God said we cannot do. You'll end, up, you'll end up hating one and clinging to the other. And so we look at Jesus, I challenge you today, not only as your Savior, but also your King. A lot of us, it's, you, we have the struggle because we still have the flesh. We still have our old man, but the Bible calls us to put off our old man. And he says, when we walk in the Spirit, we shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. And so... If we live for our kingdom, Jesus is not going to assert himself over us. Do you realize we've been given the power of the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead? But he's not going to usurp our free will once again. We have access to the Holy Spirit of God. We have access to his presence and his power and his grace if we choose it. If we choose to submit to it, if we choose to walk in it, but so often we live defeated Christian lives because we don't. And we look at God and we say, thank you so much for saving me. Thank you so much that I don't have to go to hell. Thank you so much that I am one with you now. Yes, Jesus, thank you. 
Now, if you don't mind, I'm going to go live for myself for my years here on earth and can't wait for you to come back. That is not what God has called us to do as followers of Christ. But it's hard. There's a lot of distractions. There's a lot of enticing things pulling for our attention here on earth. And it's very easy to get caught up in this kingdom because this is what we see. Jesus told Thomas, he actually said, blessed are you for seeing and believing, but more blessed are they who believe and didn't see. That's us who have faith today when we didn't get to see Jesus in person. My son Chandler is 10 months old. He's not even a year old yet. And he's such a sinner. He must get it from his grandpa. Skips every other generation, I think is how it goes. But I'll be playing with him, and I'll be on the floor with him, and he'll have a toy, and he's just loving that toy. He's looking at it. He's studying it. He's biting on it with his seven teeth that he has, and he's slobbering all over, and he's just so loving that toy. And I'll just be laying there, and I'll just pick up one of his toys, just looking at it, like, what is this, just inspecting it. And he looks over, and he sees me with that toy. Guess what he does? Drops his toy, immediately wants that toy. Grabs that toy, now that's all that he wants is what I'm grabbing. He grabs that, he starts to play with that. I'm like, fine, have it, go ahead, no problem. I'm not actually care about your toys. I'll grab another toy, pick that up. He sees me with that toy, puts that toy down, grabs another, and it's just a perpetual cycle. I can't pick up any toys. I can't have any of his toys. Whatever I have, what he has is no longer enough, and he wants that. So often, that's how we live from day to day. That's the culture of this world. What I have is not enough. What I see is what I'm working for. And so often we view our lives, even though we claim to be Christians, even though we thank God for saving us and we're so thankful for our Savior, we look at this world and this kingdom and all it has to offer and we want it. And we see our lives through the lens of ambition. We see our lives through the lens of of, uh, career. We see our lives through the lens of uh, family or all these different things, but we're not looking through the lens of the kingdom. We're not being kingdom-minded. And we think that this world is what matters and what, how much money I make is what matters or what I drive is what matters or what kind of house I have is what matters or what my family looks like is what matters or my self-appearance is what matters or all these different things that we begin to find identity and validity and fulfillment in. But to live like that is to not live for the kingdom of God. To live like that is exhausting. To live like that will not bring fulfillment. To live like that will bring sorrow, will breed jealousy, discontentment, will breed identity crisis. But to live with Jesus as your identity, to live with Jesus as your king, to realize all he has done for us, to realize he has offered us restoration, to realize he has offered us reconciliation, to realize that he has called us to live for him and his kingdom will bring fulfillment, will bring peace, will bring a peace actually that passes all understanding according to the scripture. But are we living with Jesus as our king? Are we living kingdom-minded? It's not about what this world has to offer. It's not about these treasures. It's about God's kingdom and living for what he said actually matters, laying up our treasures 
for Him. When we live kingdom-minded, we are going to see things come to fruition in our life. We're going to see certain fruits in our life. When we live kingdom-minded, we're going to seek to know our Father. We're going to seek to know our King because He's not distant and removed. He's a brother and a friend, and He draws nigh when we draw nigh to Him. We'll seek to know our Father. We'll seek to share the good news of what our Father has done for us. When we're living for our kingdom, we don't care to share the good news. When we're living with this kingdom in mind, we aren't concerned about the souls of those around us. The people who don't have restoration. The people who don't get to celebrate salvation. The people who don't know Jesus. When we're living kingdom-minded, we're sharing that good news of what our Father did for us. When we are living kingdom-minded, we're loving one another. In Ephesians 5, it says, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love, as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God, for a sweet-smelling savor. When I'm kingdom-minded, I'm walking in love. And it's easy for me to love my brother and sister in Christ. It's easy for me to love the lost because I'm focused on the king's love for me. When I'm kingdom-minded, I am walking in love and I'm also living in unity. That passage that we read in John 17 and verse 15 where Jesus prays for our unity, not only for the unity of the disciples, but for the unity of those who will ever believe. Think about that. We can be the answer to Jesus' prayer. We, through the power of the Holy Spirit, can live in unity. When we live for the kingdom of heaven, we will not only walk in love, we'll not only seek our Father and to share the good news of what He's done for us, but we will be able to overcome any division, overcome any strife because of the love of the Father. I've been married three years coming up New Year's Eve. Who has been married for longer than 15 years? Raise your hand. Longer than 30 years? Raise your hand. Longer than 40 years? Raise your hand. 50 years? 60 years? 55? 52? 53? 52? 52 years, give them a round of applause. That is amazing. So I've been married three years, going on 52 is the goal. That is amazing. That is fantastic. What are your guys' names? Russ and Deb? Okay. Russ and Deb Barnes, 52 years. 52 years of being with someone. Imagine how many arguments. Imagine how many things came up that bothered one or the other. Imagine how many trivial or serious problems that came up in that marriage. But guess what? Guess what overcame any single thing that came up in their marriage? Was the greater love for the other person to realize it doesn't matter how bad you hurt me. It doesn't matter how bad you messed up or matter how much you bother me. My love for you overcomes that. My love for you 
is saying, you know what, I'm going to forgive because my love for you is greater. That is the love that we have received from our Father in Heaven. And that is the love that we are called to live out, not only in a marriage, but in our everyday life with one another. And this is the love that brings unity, because it is the same love that realizes our Father loved us so much, a holy God loved us so much, He removed Himself from creation, but strove to reunite with His creation and actually sent His Son to die so He could reconcile us and actually loved us so much He offered forgiveness as a free gift through what His Son did. And because of that love, because I get to receive that love, there is nothing anyone can do to me that I can't forgive. There's nothing that anyone can do to me that is a greater offense than my sin towards God. There is nothing to me, that is going to happen that cannot be overcome with the love that is now in me because Christ is in me. My old man, on the other hand, is a whole other story. If I don't put my old man to death, he's going to cut you off. If I don't put my old man to death, my flesh is going to seek revenge. If I don't put my old man off, I'm going to seek disunity. I'm going to seek to lift myself up I'm going to seek my kingdom. Because when I'm king, I get to rule my kingdom. When I'm king, my love is of my flesh. When I'm ruling my life, forgiveness is at my expense when I so desire. When I'm ruling my kingdom, my identity is in my accomplishments. When I'm ruling my kingdom, my identity is in my career. When I'm ruling my kingdom... God's kingdom's not spreading. So the kingdom of heaven is what we are to be living for. Jesus as not only our Savior, but as our King. It has a whole different implication in our life when we view Jesus not only as our Savior, but truly as our King. When we wake up in the morning living for Him and what He has laid before us. So where are your treasures? Are they here on earth? Where moth and rust can corrupt? Where they can be stolen? Where you can be offended? Where it can be devastated? Or are you laying up treasures in the kingdom of heaven? Are you living with Jesus as your King? Are you seeking to walk with your king to know who he is? Are you seeking to share him with others? To let others know that they can also know him? That they can also experience restoration spiritually? That they can be given true eternal life? Now, we can be living in that eternal life now. We can be walking in love, perfect love that we have received from the Father. We have access to that Holy Spirit, but are we accessing it? Are we living in our own strength? Are we trying to persevere and to be good people and to live, as the Bible says, in our own power? That is a tragic mistake. Because we've been given the power through the Holy Spirit of God. We have access to Him. We just have to walk in it. We have to yield ourselves to it. 
Every day we have to make the decision to put to death the old man and to put on the new man in Christ Jesus to let him live through us. For us to be vessels unto honor to him. Vessels fit for use so that he can bring his kingdom so that we can actually live in the light as children of light so that we can go into this community and show what it is to have a supernatural love to show what it is to have the Holy Spirit live within us and to shine in this dark world. They're not going to want what we have if it's the same thing that they have. And when we live for our kingdom, when we live in our flesh, it's exactly what they have. It's exactly what they're living out. And they're seeing the same lack of peace, the same lack of love, the same lack of unity, the same lack of peace and fulfillment in their life. But it doesn't have to be that way. And so, church, I just want to challenge you to look at your life and assess it and to ask, am I living for my kingdom? Am I living for the kingdom of this world? Am I laying up treasures here or am I living for the kingdom of heaven? Am I living for God's will to be done in my life? Am I realizing what my king has done for me? Am I realizing that he is my king and that if I submit to him, and through his Holy Spirit, walk in his love, that my life truly can be changed. That we can experience the power of the gospel today. That our neighbors can experience that same power. And that that light that we are called to walk in will shine. And so I just want to encourage you, church, to live for the kingdom of heaven. I want to encourage you today to look at Jesus as your king as well. And to just talk to him today and repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today so thankful for the cross. So thankful that our Father, our Creator, Yahweh, has sought to restore His creation. Has sought to restore His kingdom. Lord, thank you for being gracious and merciful to us. Thank you for sending your son to be born and to die so that we can know you. Lord, I pray that we would not only view you as our Savior today, but truly submit to you as our King. Lord, I pray that we would live for your kingdom, that it would come, that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, I pray that this body of believers specifically would seek your face today, that we would seek to know you, not only our king, but our friend. Lord, I pray that we would walk in love, that we would share the good news of the gospel of what you have done for us with everyone around us, and that we would live it out, that we would strive for unity, to live in harmony because of what we have received. I pray we'd perpetuate your love, your forgiveness, your grace and mercy through the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, thank you for your Holy Spirit, the comforter, the teacher, our advocate. Lord, thank you that we have access to that. I pray that we would access that today and tomorrow and that we would live as citizens of your kingdom, not this kingdom, Lord, that we would be in this world but not of this world. And Lord, I pray that through this body's unity, that Morgan Hill would know the verity of the gospel, that they would know your name, and that they would get to meet you as well.
that they would be able to be reconciled to you and experience salvation, that they'd be translated into the kingdom of God. Lord, we thank you and praise you for all you have done, for what you will continue to do in this church and in this community. We love you in Jesus' name.